Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. Good morning. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. Today we're streaming live on Jolt Radio in Miami, Florida. We're thrilled to bring you an exciting radio show with contemporary artists whose work relates to the field of cultural anthropology. As humans, we design systems of belief and power that we often impose on others. We base our understandings of religion and spirituality, art and beauty, race and community, on personal and shared experiences. Structures of imperialism and philanthropy, politics and environmental ecosystems have their own historic precedents within specific cultural contexts. Artists who explore the human condition often come up with some amazing revelations on this subject. These are the artists that inspire this radio program. We'll be sharing their voices and sounds of their projects inside two national pavilions at the 57th Venice Art Biennale in Venice, Italy, and on a bicycle tour of the 2017 Sculpture Project exhibition in Münster, Germany. To begin, here's my conversation with artist Lisa Rehana. You can experience her work in the New Zealand Pavilion at the Venice Art Biennale. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. Today we take you to the building complex known as Arsenale on the island city of Venice, Italy. The historic shipyard is one of the main venues for the 57th Venice Art Biennale. Inside the New Zealand Pavilion, I immerse myself in artist Lisa Rehana's beautiful exhibition titled Emissaries. The cinematic centerpiece of her installation is captivating, a vast panoramic video that reimagines the French scenic wallpaper, Les Sauvages de la Mer Pacifique, or in English, Savages of the Pacific Ocean. Completed in 1805, the 20-panel design represents a colonial perspective, the memory of British explorer Captain James Cook's Pacific Voyages. I sit on a bench watching as life-size vignettes scroll past from right to left on a wall-sized screen that spans the room. Imagine pages from a history book coming to life, but with a twist. In these scenes, the gaze is reversed. We see the impact of imperialism through the eyes of the colonized. So I'm standing here in the New Zealand Pavilion the first time the New Zealand Pavilion has been inside the main Biennale grounds, which is pretty exciting. It's a fantastic honour, I think, for New Zealand. It's only the eighth time that New Zealand had representation within the Biennale. For the very first time, we got invited into the Arsenale, and it's really fantastic to be at the centre of things because, as you can see, you know the numbers of people coming through are incredible. This project is called Emissaries. What will people encounter if they come into this space, which is in one of the oldest buildings of the Arsenale? Well, it's made up of three components. There's two larger-than-life portraits 
that um, bookend either end of the gallery space. The name of the building is Tessa del Isolotto, which means Little Island. And at the entrance, there's the, the chief mourner, which is a figure from Tahiti who went out of use back in the 1800s due to the changes of religion coming into the islands. At the other end, there's Joseph Banks. And the main part of the work is a very large panoramic video which is 25 metres long and 4 metres high from which these two characters are drawn and the work in pursuit of Venus in fact it makes reference to love because I always like to have something really positive and love is always at the centre of it all. The third component of the work is a series of telescopes and I was interested in the telescopes because Galileo came here to Venice to Murano to create the glass that's ground to look at the skies. Within those telescopes I've repurposed them to have images of, um, there's a calling card from Omai who is a who was taken to England in the 1800s and there's also a couple of artefacts that I've taken from museums and tried to give them a context and remind people that these things that get collected and shift through time still have another purpose and for Indigenous people they are like ancestors. There's a sense of life at the centre of them. And your work is based on fiction, history and myths. Yeah, In Pursuit of Venus Infected was inspired by a French scenic wallpaper called Les Sauvages de la Mer Pacifique. And I saw it with my partner a number of years ago, over 10 years ago now. And what struck me about this piece was it was supposedly representing the peoples of the Pacific, of which I hail. But for me, I just found it incredibly strange because I couldn't recognise anybody in this particular work. It was like a fabulation, a, a fiction, a concoction. Perhaps about seven years ago, I rediscovered the catalogue and just had a eureka moment and thought I really wanted to bring that project to life, bring the wallpaper to life, but populate it with the sights and sounds and the peoples that I know which make up the Pacific. I see through the piece, which I sat and enjoyed very much. It's, it's quite mesmerising. It's sort of like a cyclorama, it feels. The story revolves around you while you sit. And I thought that's a very different way of doing this panoramic video. It's kind of a strange work in a way because it kind of cuts across a lot of cinematic conventions. The work flows from right to left and it moves in quite a gentle but I shot it in the green screen using that process so I used it to bring characters into the field of play but there's no cutaways, there's no close-ups so I think for the audience it's almost a sense of bearing witness. It's a very interesting way of presenting information without telling people how to think but allowing them to see um, sights and sounds and these are historic but from an artist's perspective it's a different way of understanding history as but then to work with actors and other talent and ancestral people, to see them before your eyes is quite different. It's a different way to gain knowledge. I was reading more about this idea of the colonial gaze mm. of desire and power mm. that's represented in the work. Mm. I'm of mixed ancestry. I hail from New Zealand, so the indigenous people from New Zealand are Maori. We were colonised by the British, so from my mother's side, I'm British and Welsh. So it's um, a sort of an in-between space that I occupy. And I think 
in these current times of misunderstandings and cultures and people washing up on shores and all those kind of things. I mean, it's... The refugee um, and migrant crisis. Absolutely, and the diaspora. And I think these um, things will never go away. They're going to um, come again and again. So I think trying to present something to create a sense of hope and understanding and... You know, just that sitting back and not making assumptions or coming to sort of hard conclusions immediately. I, the work is quite complex and deep and layered. And I think through that sitting with it for a while, you get that sense of the nuances. And, you know, nothing is really black and white. There are these various shades in between. And I really wanted to introduce that as an idea for the audience. Tell me about the soundtrack. Well, it was fantastic. I worked with my partner, uh, James Pinker, who um, is the sound designer of the work, and it really does take you on an emotional arc. We were able to work with a number of different museums. Within the soundtrack, we have traditional instruments that were collected on Cook's voyages that ended up in museums and not played for over 100, 200 years. And we were able to play with those recordings and create those sort of sounds. So they are like the sounds of the ancestors. One of the questions that James asked of an ethnomusicologist is, Captain Cook in the 1700s, if he had an iPod, what would he be listening to? And it was an interesting question, and so he came back with bark. So there's a series of refrains that come processed through the work as well. So there's this kind of a balance between indigenous uh, sounds with Western music traditions because so many different Pacific nations of Samoa, the Cook Islands, Nui, uh, Tahiti, many, many places have taken on various religions that now are very imbued with that type of um, sound and beat, adding to that complexity and a texture and a tapestry of, uh, of sounds. I like the experimentation that is evident in the piece, behind the piece as we're speaking, but also that sense of, like I said, the transformation of a cyclorama idea. And I read you've been in the forefront of experimentation with time-based media in New Zealand. I've always been intrigued by looking and ways of seeing. When I was finishing art school, New Zealand media was starting to embrace Māori and incorporate the language on television. And I was asked if I would like to be involved with TV broadcasting. And a lot of the TV broadcasts might sit around the news or documentary. And I love documentary, I love those forms. But I feel that working in the art world, there's a different time signature which is more interesting for me. It's not broadcasting, it's like this sort of narrow casting in a way. People come, they can spend time with work, they can return to it. I love that aspect of presenting in galleries, the internet as, a, as another form of communication. But I decided that I wanted to be a filmmaker. 
that was working in the art world because I could really see that it was offering a new space and a new place from which to speak from. What I'm also interested in is knowing that you are committed in your work and engaging with community. Mm. And I wonder how you involved your community in this piece. Sure. I mean, it's a big thing as a person of a particular um, tribal descent, as I said before, I'm Maori, to um, work with other communities and other peoples. But I was trying to find some strategies that would be ethically responsive. So one of the things that I would do is invite people to partake in the project, come up with a couple of storylines that I would offer, but also say to them, look, if there's a response that you would prefer to be within what is the structure of the wallpaper, then you have that space and that opportunity to do that too. So sometimes we were setting up the studio and I even didn't know what I would be recording. But I think that sense of believing in people and trusting that they will give what is the right thing is such a nice opportunity. So there's some improvisational aspects to the performance. Absolutely. I mean, I didn't have a lot of money to do this project. So many times we might have maybe gone to a second take if we could. The improvisation came from people's embodied knowledge for people to feel that there was that trust from me is really important because I knew that Les Sauvages de la Mer Pacific, this French scenic wallpaper, is actually a document of a time of colonisation. It really speaks about these hierarchies of races and what kind of set around these times. I felt that the way that I would approach and talk to different people was really important. I didn't want to recolonize colonize people. And for the audience too, like sometimes just to kind of resist the gaze or that idea of performing. There's a number of scenes where different groups are dancing for their own pleasure. Yes. I thought that was really important. Many people know about Maori culture because we have the haka. It's performed uh, before rugby games. It's a very sort of strong, warrior, powerful, resonant performance. I've got one haka in this work, but what I've done is I turned the group of males behind, so you're actually seeing them from behind. And what that means is instead of being performed to, it's like they are performing on behalf of you, and it t- puts you in the position of being the people of the land or tangata whenua in our language. I think a a useful way of describing it is thinking of it as a moving image tapestry. There's a number of vignettes, a number of little stories all happening concurrently. So time is kind of mucked up and played with as well. Mesmerising is a word that people keep using again and again and it keeps you wanting to watch. What point of view would you like people to understand about you as an artist and your culture from this experience. I think the fact that you can have multiple points of view and being able to achieve that empathy, I think that's what the world needs now, is is that ability to see things from multiple perspectives. This is Fresh Art International on Jolt Radio. Thank you for joining us for a special show on contemporary art that investigates cultural histories. You just heard from Lisa Rehana in the New Zealand Pavilion in Venice. Next up, my conversation with artist Samson Young at the National Pavilion of Hong Kong, also at the Biennial.
This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. Today we take you to Venice, Italy, to meet Hong Kong artist and composer Samson Young. We're here for the opening days of the 57th Venice Art Biennale. The Hong Kong Pavilion sits on prime real estate, directly across from the main entrance of the Arsenale, one of two principal venues for the renowned International Art Exhibition. Fake news, metafiction, politics, pop music, and philanthropy are all at play in Samson Young's biennial project, Songs for Disaster Relief. His multi-part installation begins in the courtyard. Neon text on the stone wall behind an expansive red, blue, and yellow stage cites a confusing quote from 1957 by Mao Zedong, father of the People's Republic of China. The world is yours, but also ours, but really yours. The platform is the first in the pavilion set of ambiguous interconnected environments. In the first room, a digital collage statue, drawings and gilded vinyl records reveal the hybrid nature of Young's research-based practice. I enter the next room by passing through a velvet curtain. Silky curtains line the walls of this glowing inner sanctum, the private world of a mysterious pop singer named Boomtown Gundane. A video of the singer's eerie performance on a frosty outdoor stage in North Dakota is projected onto the folds of fabric that cover the back wall. The last room resembles a small theater where another wall-sized video projection features the muted performance of a choir. Samson Young joins me when I venture back outside into the sunlight. Perched on the edge of the stage, we talk about the stories behind his project. The running theme throughout the exhibition is, of course, charity singles, but also the one another larger theme that for me ties everything together is the idea of failed aspiration and how to look back at the beginning of moments of aspiration, even if an aspiration has failed by today's sort of measurement and, and judgment, and could we reconcile the product that we now see with the benefit of hindsight of history, and then also the purity of the um, 
of the aspiration that started the thing, the process which generated this problematic product. So I didn't conceive of a show just for the biennial. We, I usually have a couple of ideas in my head that I think I would like to research into and then when the appropriate context arises, then I dive into it. So this is one of those projects. We decided on the topic pretty early on. And I think the point of origin of my interest in Charity Single is when they did a remake of Do They Know It's Christmas? And they, so it's not Boy George doing it, it's like with all the new singers and, and but they try to do it in exactly the same way, you know, like the MTV, like the mega super group of stars and people sort of like holding the headphone and then approaching the mic doing it. All of that was very much like how they did it in the 80s. And I think for me, that image was very weird. And I wanted to find out why I felt that was weird. Like, maybe it's my problem. Maybe it's not the song's problem. And so I started asking that question of why, like what was the source of my discomfort? And that's what started the research into this project. For listeners that might not know what that means, a charity single. Mm. It's a song that was specially recorded to raise funds for some cause, some global cause. Yeah, for charitable cause. And and I that of course was the most popular in the eighties really. And we've had some very iconic charity singles like We Are the Wild and Do They Know It's Christmas? These are songs that we all know. And these are also songs that I have chosen to respond to and to, let's say, misread and elaborate upon. And there won't be snow in Africa this Christmas time. There's local variation as well. So, for example, Bridge Over Tribal Water, for everybody else in the world, it's just Bridge Over Tribal Water, but, but for people of Hong Kong, it was covered in 1991 by a group of stars to raise funds for the Eastern China flood. And so for the people of Hong Kong, Bridge Over Tribal Water is not Bridge Over Tribal Water, but this charity song, which is very iconic and representative of the time. You chose these two because they're the ones that are embedded in everyone's brains. So those, that's what you wanted to disrupt. Well, yeah, they're iconic uh, songs and they have a lot of histories that I could already tap into. And also specifically, the lyrics for Do They Know It's Christmas is very weird, really, it, and so and, and problematic in all kinds of ways. The reason why I've chosen to they know it's Christmas is specifically because I found this piece of news on the internet about a group of unemployed musicians from Cape Town who had produced a response to Do They Know It's Christmas? And they call that song, Yes We Do. And they use that song and the charity single to raise funds for contraception programs in the UK. And so when I read about that, I was like, okay, I need to find that musician. And his name was Boomtown Gandani. And so I asked my Cape Town musician friends to help me hunt down this person. Only weeks later did I find out that this 
actually did not happen. What I had read on red light politics for the first time was a piece of fake news that had uh, made the round on the internet several times and had then been reposted as real news. When I found out about that, I was like, okay, this is perfect. If you are doing the name is Christmas, you, you know, We Are The World is a good sort of song to match it. And, and I've chosen a very specific chorus to sing this piece, it's a Federation of Trade Union Chorus. That's how the piece came together. So let's describe what the experience is for those people who enter the space. There's this sculpture, this melange, assemblage kind of sculpture that represents your brain. Yeah, it's, of. <laughs> it's kind of like a collage of all, all of the different elements that I came across in the research. I have invented this fictional character called Buntang Gennady, which of course refers to this fake news, and I try to recreate the world in which he inhabits. In my imagination, he had actually recorded a response song, which you will hear in the space, and he toured with the song. So that's why on the wall you see all these make-believe platinum records, which are his platinum records that he... That's him singing on the video. And it's also him singing in the video. And these fake platinum records, they were all sort of like music tour records, but I had modified them to make like to look like platinum records. And the statue that you see in the middle of the room is basically the main image of the concert tour, but made into a 3D object. We fabricated that object with 3D printing. So it's made to look like bronze, but it sits on a mirror. And so if it was made of real bronze, it, the mirror would never support it. Yeah. So part of the fake. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. And then you enter in this gorgeous space. That's fictional characters living room like these are furnitures that i have chosen and of course some are actually very ugly but in my imagination these are all things that the fictional character would appreciate and it's actually partly about autobiographical because I, i've actually mixed into the fictional character's story a bit of my family history and so inside of that room you also see objects that belong to my personal collection there's like an award that i have won before and then like photographs and these things that, that belong to me. So this sort of like matter fiction, that sort of uh, idea I have used in other pieces before. And this is the fourth time I've collaborated with this particular singer. Every time when I make a matter fiction, I use this singer. And he sort of, he's part me and part him. The second room has whispering singers. It's a trade union chorus performing a sort of what I call muted version of we are the well. So the Federation of Trade Union in Hong Kong is a very unusual organization in that they are pro-labor. They've also had a long history and association with Beijing and the Communist Party. And I thought 
it would be wonderful to get them to sing this song. It would just set a whole world of intertextuality in motion and it would make it really complicated. I had also promised them that I'm not going to try to make fun of them. I'll put them in a good night light, I'll shoot them in a way that is dignified. And so we came together and made this piece, which I was very happy about. And you show them in a space that's very respectful of their work. Yeah. I, it, it feels different. It's yeah. good. What do you want people to take away from this experience? I think although like the different research and the logical elements of the show is very messy and almost an overload of information, I think that's okay. However, I think my feeling and sort of how I feel about these songs and these situations, the affect, effective quality of the piece is very obvious, I think. It reads as universally appealing with a certain nostalgia to me and also irony in the way it's presented, the singing and the experience of it where there's a question of the, not just the authenticity, but the emotional honesty. Congratulations. Thank you. Good morning. This is Fresh Art International on Jolt Radio an independent online station based in Miami, Florida. Today, our program features contemporary art that engages in cultural anthropology. I recorded the conversation you just heard with artist Samson Young at the Hong Kong Pavilion during the Venice Art Biennale in Italy. For the final segment of today's show, I'm taking you to Germany on a tour of temporary public art sites that have popped up across the city. We're in Münster for the international art exhibition known as Sculpture Project. You're about to experience art environments designed especially for display in Münster by I. Arakawa, Aram Bartol, Gerard Byrne, Jeremy Deller, Nicole Eisenman, Pierre Wieg, Emeka Ogbo, Alexandra Perici, Koki Tanaka, Benjamin de Burka, Barbara Wagner, Sarah Wynn Evans, and Hervé Yumbi. The International Public Art Exhibition that has taken place every 10 years since 1977 activates historical, architectural, social, political, and aesthetic sites across the city. The best way to experience this model of art in the public sphere is on foot and by bicycle. Our guide, Alina Fuschte, leads us to the edge of American artist Nicole Eisenman's sketch for a fountain. In a green space near a public promenade, the five nude figures of voluminous proportions that gather around this water feature are clearly indifferent to the aesthetic and social traditions associated with monuments and fountains. The fountain is one of the first examples of a public art mm -hmm. and she sort of gives it a new interpretation with this because those figures are not monumental and don't have those big gestures mm -hmm. as usual they're more like sluggishly cartoon-like you could say as you can see like this could be like a man from this 
direction, but they also have like breasts. So you don't have a specific gender in no. a way. And that's like one of her themes, diversity of gender. Three figures are made out of plaster, so they won't outlast the exhibition probably, because it's not like a long material that lasts that long. So that emphasizes uh, yeah, the temporary character in a way. Back on our bikes, we ride to the disused Uberwasser Cemetery to meet Cameroonian artist Hervé Yumbi. Yumbi has suspended a set of masks celeste, or celestial masks, among the trees near the grave of General Ludwig Roth von Schrankenstein, once a minister of war. Contemporary and traditional African and Western cultures inform these beaded shapes. Immediately recognizable is the ghost face mask from the American horror film Scream from 1996, itself inspired by Edvard Munch's 1893 painting titled Scream. In the context of a Christian burial site, the work suggests that questions of religion, spirituality, and superstition are universal. It's just to build the conversation between a strong symbol of belief in Africa and in Europe. This work invites us to think at the notion of living together, to think at the notion of acceptance of difference. We ride to one of Munster's community gardens to meet British artist Jeremy Deller. Talk to the Earth and It Will Tell You is a study in cultural anthropology that spans a decade and involves 30 local garden clubs. Outside a small red-roofed shed, Deller introduces his project. Welcome. Thank you. I came to Munster in 2006 to be in Sculpture Project 2007. And I thought what I wanted to do was, I love these gardens. They're for people who don't have gardens, who live in apartments. And it's a cross between so, a, a social space, pleasure space, but also you, you have to grow fruit and vegetables. There's very strict rules about how you use your plot. You have a little house here. I was very charmed by them. I thought they were very beautiful places, kind of like an urban, little piece of paradise in an urban environment. And they're very popular throughout Germany. And they're called garden societies. And there's about 50 of these societies dotted around Munster. And I thought I'd like to work with them. So I came up with an idea to mark this 10-year period to do a 10-year diaries. Each society would be given a big book, like it looks like a big family Bible almost, and they would keep a diary for 10 years in about their garden, about the social life of the garden, but also the natural life, the ecological life, and how it all mixes up, really. And so what you have here in 2017 is the culmination of the project. You have the books that were kept. Not, not every society could keep stand keeping a book for 10 years. So we have like 26 books kept by people, individuals or groups of people, about their gardens. So you have photographs, drawings, pressed flowers, all sorts of things. And um, the books are in the little room in the hut. And you can just look at them, take them off, off the shelf, sit down, go through them. They're all in German. So you might not mean that much to you, but I mean, visually, they're very interesting. And there's some rather lovely moments. There's a lot of pictures of sort of uh, weddings, wedding anniversaries, christenings, and so on. So that's also something that's nice to look at, and parties. 
big party scene. There's a big social scene around these gardens. Yeah. Did you follow it? Did you talk to with them every came, year? Came every year. Yeah. And it's like people showing me their homework. <laughs> and I, you know, I was very attentive, and of course, I, I was very happy with what they were doing. So that's basically what I did. This is the end, and now all the books are here, and we'll probably put the books probably into sort of the city archive or, or the city library. We'll, we'll give them the books, and they'll keep them in, in the specially made bookcase. Steps away, beneath the trees next to the small theater that operates in a former pump house. German artist Aram Bartol proposes a thermoelectric solution to the world's energy crisis. His three-part project generates 3, 5, and 12 volts of electricity. At this site, he invites visitors to charge their mobile phones by attaching them to sticks, equipped with generators, and holding them over a small campfire. The idea that we when our phone is running out of battery, that's a, that's a very bad thing, right? So people are like getting stressed out. And at the same time, fire is a very old technology. So maybe that's the time we need to make fire to charge our phone. There's three sites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three and sites. which one is this one? This is five. So if it's a three volt, what are people getting out of three volts? Um, this is a chandeliers in the tunnel near the castle. Chandeliers, yeah. so lighting. Yeah, lighting okay. in the pedestrian tunnel, which is oh, dark yes. during the day. And the 12 volt is at the um, TV tower. There's a router on the TV tower, and it's also powered by fire source. There's a long cable going up, and you can log into the Wi-Fi with your phone and I download. Can download tutorials and articles about how to get offline and what to do when you're offline or how to disconnect your Tesla from the internet and things like that. We pedal on to the site of a former ice skating rink. Here French artist Pierre Wieg presents a new site-specific environment, a time-based biotechnical system. Digging beneath the surface of the rink, he creates a low-level hilly landscape and populates it with various life forms. The project reminds me of Pierre Wieg's fabulous Documenta 12 site work in Castle, Germany, a few years ago. Our guide explains. It's called <laughs> After a Life Ahead, and it's like a time-based biotechnological um, system. So all the parts inside this former ice rink uh, are in the interdependent. So uh, you have in the middle you have an incubator with a HeLa cancer cell line, mm -hmm. and they are growing, and they are under under scientific surveillance, and um, the cells are analyzed, and um, they make an algorithm, which is influencing the different parts inside. So you have an artificial vein, you have a, like a pyramid shaped window which is opening. And um, you have a fog, and there are also animals like peacocks, beehives. Later, exploring on my own, I bike the cobblestone street that leads to the historic town hall where Romanian artist Alexandra Pirici is staging a collective performance titled Leaking Territories. In this space, visitors encircle a small troupe of performers. 
they take turns to introduce the time and place of a series of territorial conflicts before enacting each historic moment with symbolic gestures. Here we are, four and a half billion light years away from a dark matter bridge that connects galaxies together. Here we are, over 1,700 kilometers away from where first free television broadcast took place during the Romanian Revolution and the end of the Cold War. Here we are, three years away from when the protesters climbed the monument to the city founders during the Maidan Square uprising in Kiev, Ukraine. I followed clues to reach a hidden room in the basement of the main library a few blocks away. This is where Irish artist Gerard Byrne presents In Our Time. A well-sized back-projected video takes us into the control booth of a radio studio from another era. In Byrne's immersive soundtrack, a radio presenter moves through a program of music, weather, and sports. As he routinely notes a specific date and hour, we experience a sense of real time, bringing now and then together in the same moment. In baseball today, the Giants and A's both lost. The A's to Kansas City, 8-7. to seven. The Giants to the Dodgers by a score of 5-3 to three out of Kansas State. That's the latest from KGW. Variable clouds and a chance of showers or thunderstorms today. Highs will go to the 60s and low 70s. In the city, it's 60 degrees. The time is 8 o'clock, and this is Bill Kafuri for KFOG. Munster is a town where you often hear a chorus of church bells. Andrew Russeth shared his encounter with one of them. At St. Stephanus Church, he recorded the sound of British artist Sarah Wynne Evans' project a modified threshold for Munster. In the belfry of the Brutalist-style church, Wynne Evans installed an air conditioning unit that cools the bells. With the change in temperature, the bells ring at a slightly higher pitch, hardly perceptible to the human ear. Exploring sound that's far from spiritual but nonetheless revered, Brazilian artists Barbara Wagoner and Benjamin de Berca invite visitors to a disco in Munster's Old Town. In the darkness of the Elephant Lounge, we encounter Schlager, 
a particular style of German pop music. The artists have produced a set of music videos locally. Der Tisch gedeckt, der Wein schon kalt, aber du bist noch nicht da. Es ist ja nicht das erste Mal, du hast viel zu tun, na klar. Doch ich will, dass du weißt, was es heißt, immer nur zu warten. Und ich brauch das Gefühl, du bist da, wenn mein Herz Ich brauch den Fels im Sturm der Zeit, doch nicht nur so nebenbei. Ich will lachen und weinen mit dir, nicht nur davon träumen. Back outside, I hop on my bike to seek out the soundscape that Nigerian artist Emika Ogbo installed inside a pedestrian tunnel near Munster's principal train station. Passage through Moondog evokes the legendary American musician through Moondog's music and two-line poems. It turns out that Moondog lived in Germany in his later years, and he's buried in a Munster cemetery. The day I visit the tunnel, a local accordion player is sharing airtime with Ogbo's sound work.
A counterpoint to Emeka Ogbo's urban project, Japanese artist Ai Arakawa's plein air installation animates a meadow at the edge of town. In front of Hauskump, part of the city's Chamber of Crafts, he erected seven digital paintings Harsh Citation, Harsh Pastoral, Harsh Munster is a set of screened LED panels on hand-dyed fabric. They depict works by Joan Mitchell, Atsuko Tanaka, Gustav Courbet, Nicolas Gambarov, Amy Silman, Rena Spallings, and Jutta Kota. The audio component of this work, songs composed by two of the artist's friends, plays throughout the day. the city center, Japanese artist Koki Tanaka brings to Sculpture Project a conversation about art, culture, and community. For Provisional Studies Workshop Number 7, How to Live Together and Sharing the Unknown, he invited a diverse group of eight local residents to help him answer French philosopher Roland Barthes' question, How do we live together? A camera crew filmed and recorded everything they did during the 10 days they spent as an ad hoc community in 2016. Talking, exercising, cooking, and eating together, they thought collectively about the meaning of concepts such as dignity, acceptance, and emancipation. Or maybe emancipation is about consciousness. Yeah, to use your mind. Uh, that could be a good example of a message. Emancipation. <laughs> <laughs> You're the American one. I know, but I took that time. 
is, uh, for example, with um, Mandela. Mandela was emancipated in the prison from his hate for the Afghans. Okay, and he went from being this total um, militant to our to a spiritual being. Mm -hmm. so he was emancipated from hate to love. I think you are born emancipated and. You have to be conscious of it. <laughs> you have to, but also yeah. your environment maybe changes that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then you have to like find your way out again to that original emancipation you already had as a human. I meet the artist outside his installation of projected videos, wall-sized photographs, and other artifacts. Tanaka explains how he structured the group's time together, respecting their individual life rhythms. We stay overnight one day. Right. Then other days uh, they, they go back and coming, coming back to the The, the workshops, yeah, but they for... didn't actually spend the full 24 hours together except yeah. on the weekends. Yeah. You weren't doing a reality TV show. No, I don't really like the reality. No. I, I actually never <laughs> seen any reality TV, so it's kind of like a strange that. Uh, yeah, many people mention that, but right. I don't really know. That's not an influence at all. <laughs> In fact, it's an oppositional force. <laughs> were these people, any of them, actors? No, they were, they were regular people. Regular people that people. wanted to find out what it was like to live. Yeah. <laughs> Or maybe they, they like the idea of this uh, rethinking about how to live together in, in the current situation. The current situation that Koki Tanaka refers to might be the fact that we live in an uncertain world. I see in the news every day how people are coming together in response to restrictive immigration laws, unwarranted police shootings, and acts of terrorism and how we're responding to the forces of nature that seem to be disrupting our landscape and our post-internet lives more and more often. People are joining forces to recover from hurricanes and earthquakes that have ravaged communities in the U.S., Mexico, and Caribbean in the past few weeks. Considering today's global sense of unease, I keep coming back to the value of art. Art can spark change, make us think differently, Bring us together. Spark conversations about issues and ideas and aesthetics. One dialogue recorded during Koki Tanaka's communal experiment sums it all up for me. I think art is really about the people. I really don't, I, I really have trouble disconnecting the two. Mm. Um, that's why like, I think museums are awesome to protect and conserve all the, all, all the art we have, but uh, I really think there is a, a, a greater goal, and I think that greater goal is to, um, to help people to connect with one another. And, uh, mm, beautiful. <laughs> it's amazing. Yes, really. <laughs> this is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. You've been listening to Sounds of Sculpture Project Munster, a public art exhibition that takes place every 10 years in Munster, Germany. Free and easily accessible to the cognoscenti and the curious, Sculpture Project succeeds beautifully, bringing the public to art and art to the public. To learn more and support our work, visit freshartinternational.com. If you like what you're hearing, please let us know on social media. 
I invite you to rate and review this program on iTunes or anywhere you go for podcasts. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more contemporary art talk.